If you'd like to turn in the scriptures, I'm going to be reading to you from John's Gospel and chapter 12. John 12, we'll just read a, a short passage there. John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these extraordinary stories. We thank you for a person who captivated other people, transformed their lives, gave them a different value system. Lord God, we want so much to see the real, authentic Jesus. And Father, we ask you right now, in the name of Jesus, would you please pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Holy Spirit, please come and be our teacher. Come and reveal Jesus to us that we might come to love him more fervently, know him more clearly. Lord, we want to be shocked by the wonder of who he is. So please come, Holy Spirit. Do that work in our hearts, in our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a story which is recorded elsewhere in the Gospels and in uh, Mark's account particularly. Jesus says this, that wherever the Gospel is preached, this story will be told. That's a, a remarkable thing to say. I mean, he, the ma many things Jesus did. He walked on water, he fed thousands, uh, he healed the sick, he did many, many extraordinary things. But this, this story... Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, I want people to hear about this. I want them to discover something of this extraordinary event. And also, it's quite evident that Judas Iscariot hated what happened. And again, if you compare it with what's recorded in Mark's gospel, it says, from this very moment, Judas went straight to the chief priests and began to plan to betray Jesus. So something about this act of worship which thrilled Jesus, absolutely thrilled him. I want this to be spoken about all over the world. Judas hated it. So it's a pretty important uh, theme. It's something that happened of provocative impact. And so I want us to look at it. And uh, first of all, ask some questions. What was it that provoked her to take this step? Well, the, I believe the secret is kind of hidden in the text there. It says that Lazarus was present. Now, Lazarus was the brother of Mary. 
He was the brother of these two sisters and a home where Jesus often went. It's quite apparent that Bethany, that was not far from Jerusalem, was a place Jesus kind of withdrew. It was a place where he felt at home, a a kind of country scene, a place away from the hassle of the city of Jerusalem where he would withdraw. And it says plainly in the scriptures he loved these people. He loved these two sisters, he loved Lazarus, he loved finding a place of refuge and joy and fellowship in their home. And the story tells us that Lazarus one day was terribly ill. And uh, these two sisters lived through watching their brother look more and more seriously ill. He's, uh, He's not only ill, it's serious. And not only is it serious, it begins to look as though it could be fatal. But of course the wonderful thing is this, Jesus is their friend. But of course Jesus is not there. And uh, I guess for many times they would have thought, if only Jesus was here. Because, well, we've seen him heal the sick, we've seen him cleanse lepers, we've seen him open blind eyes. And look, here's uh, Lazarus, whom he loves so much. And, and, and look how fast he's declining. Look how dangerous this thing is. If only Jesus was here. And then they send someone. They say, can you try and find Jesus? And uh, someone goes searching for Jesus. And then the message comes back, it's okay. I got to Jesus. I told him about it. Ah, oh, that must be wonderful. Jesus knows. Uh, the message says uh, in the earlier chapter, he who you love is sick. And so the message is out there. Right, it's okay, he knows. And then they wait. And then he goes further downhill. And they wait longer. And he goes further downhill. And Lazarus dies. And the tragedy of a, a friend of Jesus dying and the absolute agony of it and uh, knowing that strange mystery Jesus knows but didn't come and the whole extraordinary thing of that and really the agony that they would have gone through that they'd seen Jesus do remarkable things he'd been to their home often they would have heard him teach breathtaking teaching wonderful insights wisdom amazing teaching they'd seen him heal the sick they'd seen him do extraordinary things but tragically In the end, death wins. So Jesus may be introducing a wonderful new kingdom. He said the kingdom's amongst you. People get healed. The teaching, meekness, gentleness, beautiful things he's talking about. But in the end, death wins. And your dear brother dies. And in the end, your life is vulnerable to the biggest crisis that you can possibly face, that you lose someone you love. Dear ones, die. And so, okay, it's lovely meeting Jesus. Life's never been quite like it is to have Jesus around. But hey, let's face it, death wins in the end. And that's the tragedy of it. You can, you can have your life enriched, but you're going to die. And so they lived through that. The death had invaded their experience of knowing Jesus. And here, uh, actually the first story we have of anyone close to Jesus dying. And that's the end of the story, so forget it. And then, of course, the Lord Jesus begins to turn up. And an extraordinary thing happens is you find both Mary goes out to him and Martha goes out to him. If you read the earlier chapter, the whole thing is explained. And uh, one after the other say to him, if only you'd been here. Uh, They say almost identically, almost identical words, if you had been here. And then Jesus says, where's Mary? And she comes out, if only you'd been here. I guess they've been talking in those terms. If only Jesus had been here. And then you have the story of Jesus speaking to them. 
and then going out to the place where the body had been laid for some four days. I mean, they've lived through a day without their brother, a night, maybe they didn't sleep much, another day without their brother, another night of agony and remorse and emptiness, the sense I'll never hear his laughter again, I'll never feel his touch again, I'll never see his eyes again. Four days of it. Jesus came after a four-day gap. And then he speaks to them. We'll come back to some of the things he said in a moment. And he goes out and says, now, roll away the stone. And they, they say, don't be stupid. I mean, he will stink. We're talking about a corpse of several days in the Middle East heat. Come on. No, no, he says, roll away the stone. And then, and then Jesus shouts out, Lazarus, come out. Oh, it must have been breathtaking, mustn't it? It must have been phenomenal to see this corpse step out and walk out. I mean, a guy had been dead for days and he walks out from the... I mean, just unbelievable. I was once in South Africa and uh, it was so funny. I, I, I don't know if you know Carman. He's an American uh, gospel singer. Extraordinary guy, actually. And uh, they had one of his songs playing and uh, he really belts out a song. And while he was singing this song, uh, the young people, the children, actually, of the church were acting out a little play which was uh, playing the, what the song was. And the song is about people in heaven, and they're all one after another telling the stories of what they did uh, in their lifetime. So there's a story, Samson, he sings out, you know, I took a jawbone of a donkey, I killed about David, I took a sling, and, and one child after another singing this, and then the, and, and one after another singing, it's like verses of a song, and then Lazarus comes, and, and Lazarus is uh, there, in the, as it were, in heaven, and uh, he's, he's singing out, yeah, he spoke to me by name. And they were saying, by name? You knew Jesus personally? Yeah, he would call me by name. And then he says, hey, I think I hear him calling me by name now. And, uh, and Jesus calls him out from death. And the guy walks out from heaven back to earth. And so Lazarus is called to life. Because out from the grave, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Someone said it's a good job. He said Lazarus first, or every dead person will come alive. <laughs> Jesus, with authority, spoke right into death and called this guy out from death. That's what happened. And uh, here, they're having an amazing uh, meal together because they're celebrating, my brother's alive again. Death doesn't win. Death really doesn't win. He's alive, he's back, he's with us. And it's interesting that the Lord Jesus, very often when he did a remarkable miracle, associated that miracle with a revelation about who he was. And so he heals a man blind from birth, who'd never ever seen, and he heals him. And then he preaches, I am the light of the world. And then he feeds 5,000 from just a loaf or two, a few fishes. And then he says, I am the bread of of life. He often, he often identifies by a miracle that he does. Someone who never could see. Now he can see. He says, listen, I'm the light of the world. I didn't just make you see. I come to help everybody see. I'm the world's light. I am the world's shepherd. I am the, the good shepherd. I am the true vine. Israel was called God's vine. God says in the Old Testament, he took this vine out of Egypt he cleared land and he planted. He said, be fruitful. Jesus comes and says, look, I'm the true vine. I'm the one you really want to get plugged into. Abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Jesus comes 
to fulfill these things. I am the light. I am the bread. And now, having raised this one from death, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. I'm the answer to death itself. Not just the answer to blindness, which is incredible. Not just the answer to being hungry, which is amazing. But I am actually the answer to life and death. I have conquered death. I've beaten your biggest enemy. I can overcome death again and again and again. In fact, of course, this is his greatest miracle and it's the one that led to Jesus being crucified because they said this. His opponents said, look, everybody's going after him. When he raised Lazarus, that was breathtaking. Everybody knew about his being dead. People gathered to weep and cry together. Now he's alive again. And the testimonies, they're all going after him. But notice their arrogance. They don't say, wow, he raised a guy from the dead. They said, they're all going after him. Let's kill him. And the Bible says, let's kill Lazarus as well. I mean, the blindness of the human race. The refusal to take seriously evidence and proof that Jesus is authentic. And so this is the biggest miracle. And it's like, that's the last straw as far as the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish people are concerned. That's it. We've got to wipe him out. We've got to get rid of him. And so here, this is the outstanding miracle. And Jesus says this, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He'll never die. It's interesting, whenever Jesus said these statements, I am, and then followed it by one of these great well-known statements, like I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, the life. All of these, in the Greek phrases, ego, I me, I am. Now you don't need, if you're speaking Greek, you don't need to use ego. You just say the verb, I me, and that means I am. If you say I me, that means I am. That's just the verb. You only have to say the verb and you know that's what it means. But to say ego, I me, is saying I am, emphatically. It's a very precise and special way of underlining it. And of course it reminds us of when Moses met uh, God in the burning bush in the Old Testament and has this phenomenal encounter with the presence of God. And God says to him, now go to Egypt and bring out my people. And Moses says, well, who shall I say is sending me? And God replies, I am that I am. That's the title, that's the name. I am who I am. It's a strange, mystical name, but it's God's name. It's the holy name of God in the Bible. I am. Yahweh, I am. And here Jesus, God having come down, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. This is God speaking now and saying, listen, I am the true vine. I am the door. I am the way. I am resurrection and life. Jesus has come to break the power of death itself. To destroy death's power. To bring through his ultimate purpose. And the Jewish people knew that that was the promise for Israel. Back in the Old Testament, there was a promise a day would come. Especially in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel sees this valley of dead bones. Which is meant to be 
Israel, there's dead. And then he's told, prophesy, and the wind comes, and they speak, and he prophesies, and the bones come alive again. And he's saying, there's going to come a day when death will be conquered. There'll come a day when the kingdom breaks out, and death will be absolutely defeated. That was the hope of Israel. And it's fascinating that when the Apostle Paul was in prison, he said, I am here preaching the resurrection, the hope of Israel, the thing God's promised for centuries, that death would be defeated, that we would come through death. God will usher in eternal day. He will give us victory over death itself, not just over a sickness, just not over blindness, but over death itself. He will usher in eternity. That was the hope of Israel. And Jesus came down and said, I am. I am the resurrection. I'm the one who's bringing this in. His own resurrection is a few days off. He will be crucified within a few days of this. Then he will step through in resurrection life. And it says of the apostles that they preached the resurrection. That was their message. If you look at all the gospel stories in the book of Acts, you look at all the preaching in the, in the book of Acts, when they preach what we would call the gospel, it's the gospel of the resurrection. He's alive again. That was their message. Wherever they went, they said, he's alive. And his being alive means death is beaten, death is broken. And here for Mary, she's actually lived through that. That's the story of the gospel. So many people think, well, what is Christianity? It's about trying to do good, isn't it? It's about trying to go to church, don't you? Try not to get into trouble. No, it's a great message. Death has been beaten. I wonder if you realise that. That is the gospel message. Death is beaten. Eternal life has been ushered in. They preached the resurrection. Well, this woman, she's lived through it. She's experienced it. So that's the background. Why? We're at a party. We're in this house. And this woman does a phenomenal thing. And that's the background. What's just happened? Her brother, her dear brother was dead and he's alive again right he's back he's eating with them he's reclining at table with them and then the second heading I want to bring to you then is the worship that she brought first of all what was it that provoked it secondly what was the worship that she brought sometimes you go outside uh, uh, a church building and you can see a notice board uh, and it says on the notice board divine worship is conducted here, 11 a.m., 6.30 p.m. Uh, but this is different. This is a very strange thing. I want to see some factors about this worship. The first one is this. It wasn't at all religious. This worship was not religious. Very often on the Sunday morning, while I'm showering, uh, I have a radio, And uh, you can sometimes hear, like I did this morning, the morning service. And uh, there's what you might call worship going on. Uh, But it doesn't look like this at all. Uh, It's not at all predictable. A.B. Bruce, great commentator, says, religion abhors eccentricity. Alright, so religious people don't like strange things happening. Religion is predictable. It's shaped, it's fairly formal, it's not like Ghana. It's uh, as you would expect it to be. There's something very predictable about religion. Here, this is totally shocking. What she did would have shocked 
people's credibility. What on earth is this girl doing? Because what she does is she breaks a pint, pint of incredibly expensive perfume and pours it out on Jesus. I mean, it's just totally shocking. What on earth is this woman up to? It's not only shocking, it was lavish. It was a pint. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I will, uh, when I'm, uh, when I'm traveling, uh, I, I sometimes I hang around waiting for the flight and you go through, uh, security and you come through to duty free. And sometimes if I think about it, I think of my beloved wife and I think I'll buy her some perfume. And do you know, you think, you look at the perfume and you see the box, but then you look inside the box and you look at the glass, you think, what? I mean, it's, <laughs> and how much you want? That's duty free? And it's that much? I mean, it's ridiculous. And this is a pint. Right? A pint of very expensive perfume. It's so much that she, having spilt it over Jesus, because she's broken the thing, she's not just got a little bit out, you know, a little dab. It's like smash. It's all over the place. And she's got to wipe it up because he, she has spilt a whole pint of perfume, so it, the, the, its fragrance fills the whole place. You can't get anywhere near without hitting a wave of fragrance. It is totally over the top. OTT. This is worship. Worship is conducted here at uh, 11 or 6.30. It is OTT. Right, this is completely crazy. This is over the top. This is shocking. This is lavish. And, and, and also, it was very costly. Just very costly. It says in the text... It was a whole year's wages. A year's wages. It was over 300 denarii. Now they reckon a denarii, that was a, a day's wage. Alright, so it's, it's just about a year's wage. There's somebody in a, a, a fairly sim, simple lifestyle, village, and, and perhaps this was something that had been treasured. Maybe it was in the household. Maybe, maybe she went and bought it. She, it says, was thinking of his funeral, his death, which is strange, we'll come back to in a minute. But this very, very precious thing, a pint of extraordinarily powerful perfume, completely smashed. So it was shocking, it was lavish, it was costly, incredibly costly. And also, it was kind of humbling because... Well, she untussled her hair to wipe his feet. You know, hair and feet don't go together, do they? This is a really strange thing. She's wiping his feet with her hair. In fact, she's doing something pretty shocking in the unravelling of her hair. In that culture, women would have had their hair covered over anyway. That would still be the case in some Western or Eastern situations. You, you cover your hair. You don't look at hair. Hair is kind of a hidden away. And that would be true in Islamic circles today. You hide away the hair. And so for her to suddenly release her hair is a shocking thing to do. It's a shocking thing to do. I read in a commentary this week that most men in that culture would not actually see their wives' hair unfurled until the wedding day. Because, well, that's hidden away. You don't see that, that. And so Jesus, here's this girl. She's, I mean, she's got her hair uncovered. This is outrageous. What on earth is she up to? This is an extraordinary thing. 
that Jesus is being uh, cared for through the extraordinary activity. So it's very risky. It's worship that's risky. It's risking being totally misunderstood. What is she doing? What's going on? This could be, this could be interpreted very badly. This is worship? Yeah, it's worship that Jesus wants the whole world to know about. It's weird. It's risky stuff. I mean, it's a bit strange thing to do. She risks misunderstanding. She risked loss of reputation. Now, some of us would happier give away a year's salary than give away our reputation. And this is risking everything. That she did such a thing. The disciples saw her as totally irresponsible. I mean, they said, hey, come on, this could have been given to the poor. Um, Judas says it, in John's account, Judas says it. If you look at the other gospel accounts, you find that they all are saying it. They're saying, come on. I mean, just think how many poor people could we help? Now here, in this passage, says Judas said it because he was a crook. Because Judas looked after the common purse. And he just wanted to steal it. But it does say that the other apostles thought similar. This is a waste. What's going on here? She's risking complete misunderstanding. And this is exclusively for Jesus. It was an expression of her personal love, devotion, and exclusively between her and him. And notice Jesus' answer. When they say, well, this could have been used. This, this, I mean, look, let's get the calculators out. I mean, that, how many poor people could we help? I mean, how many houses could we, how many, poor, I mean, how he's starving. Look at the things we could do. I've got it all worked out. What we could have done with that, with, with a year's salary. Think of the things we could have done. And then Jesus says this answer. The poor you always have with you, not always me. I looked at Edward's commentary. He says this. Jesus puts himself forward in scandalous Prominence. Scandalous prominence. It's a scandal. How dare you say that, Jesus? How dare you put yourself in such a central place when the apostles are saying, hey, look, the poor. He puts himself forward in scandalous prominence. You've always got the poor. You don't always have me. It's shocking. The whole thing's shocking. Paul says this, we don't preach ourselves. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. Come to me. Jesus constantly put himself forward. I am the answer to life. I can beat death itself. I am the way. I'm your shepherd. I'm your rock. I'm your food. I'm the living water. I am the answer to everything you ever need in life. I'm not just a little bit of religion you can do at 11 o'clock in the morning and 6.30 at night. I can satisfy every need of yours. You don't always have me with you in this very physical, particular way. And he wasn't ashamed or frightened to say that. So his answer defied all explanation and reasonableness. You know, very often we find people who don't really understand what the church is, making comments on the radio, the Today program and stuff. They get some religious guy on sometimes, an archbishop or some other, and they tell 
the church, what the, the church should be doing something. The church should say, the church should think, the church should, as though, as though political voices can tell the church, as though they know what the church is. They don't even know what the church is. They don't understand the mystery of personal devotion to Jesus. They just think the church is some philanthropic thing, something that's here just for the poor, for the needy, and that that's all, that's all it is, it's just do-gooders. Now we know the gospel's got massive social implications. We're thrilled with what's been accomplished in Ghana. We're thrilled to put our hand to that. I'm amazed the change that's come in Accra. What, what, the school for 900 kids? I mean, it's just breathtaking. Of course, the kingdom of God has always had that knock-on effect. It's always, even back in the Old Testament, they were told, care for the poor. And one of the things the prophets said to the Jews in the old day is this, you keep joining field to field, you're grinding the face of the poor in the dust. That's Bible. We're supposed to have a social conscience. That's Christianity. But if you think that's all that Christianity is, you have missed the point. Jesus said, I want this spoken about wherever the gospel's preached. Why? Because at the centre, there's something profound about personal devotion to Jesus. That without that hub, without that spring, without that motivation, or everything else is just do-gooding. It's just social action. Must well do it as a communist. What's motivating us? What, what's making us do dramatic things? This girl has got her brother back from death. This girl understands something. There's something mysterious about she has it for my death. And yet the disciples plainly didn't understand about Jesus' death. There's something impulsive and heart-motivated that helped her to see things that no one else had seen yet. She loves Jesus with a pure heart, fervently. She's absolutely devoted to him. Jesus has won her heart. It was totally acceptable to him. And you know, down through the centuries, the advance of the church, in terms of global mission, has been worked out by crazy people. I don't know if you've ever read about Jackie Pullinger. I mean, she just said, I want to go. I want, I want to serve Jesus. I've had the privilege of meeting Jackie, watching her work. I mean, she just took people into her home. Extraordinary things out there in Hong Kong when it was very, very difficult. But she just bought a one-way ticket and went. I mean, that's crazy. You read the story of Gladys Aylward. Applies to the Missionary Society, they turn her down. They say, oh no, you're too weak, you're too small, you're too feeble. So she goes anyway. And, I mean, you look at the real advances of the gospel. There's kind of a bit of craziness at the centre. And because, if I can put it, I don't know if I can communicate it well, craziness is the high motivational drive of the gospel. Because you've just been blown away by the love of Jesus. I know when I gave up my job, I was working in London. My dad lived, we were a poor family, lived through the years of the Depression, uh, in the 30s, I was so delighted when I got a job with a secure pension in London. And God, good old, good, he's through, he's safe. You know, when you live through the depression, getting a job and being secure. And I know when God called me, I felt God called me to put it all down and to live by faith and to go door to door on a housing estate. And my dad thought, You have gone crazy. 
because he wasn't a Christian. And even my pastor of the Baptist church I attended said, Terry, you should go to Bible college, get trained. You know, there's the conventional line. But convention didn't attract me. And there's something that when God touches your heart, you kind of get outside of convention. This girl got right outside of convention and she really broke out from the conventional way of going. So, let's just ask this question then as we begin to wind up here. Why did Jesus want everybody to know about this? Why? As I said, he could have spoken. He could have said that, I fed 5,000. Make sure you tell everybody about that. Or he could have said, listen, I walked on water. Don't miss this. Let it be known. It doesn't say, this is the only place it says it. Something about this that really thrills Jesus. Wherever the gospel's preached, I want this spoken of. Why? Well, because personal devotion to Jesus, utter delight in him, that comes out almost eccentric. You look at somebody like C.T. Studd, the guy was eccentric, he's kind of crazy. He went off to China, he then went to India, then when he's an old man, he went to Africa. He went to three different continents and started what's called the Worldwide Evangelization Crusade. The man's lunatic. Why? Because he's just kind of sold out. You read about Jim Elliot. You read his diaries. He went with uh, his friends down into South America and they were speared to death before they even started. And people said, but look, these are brilliant young men. They've got degrees. This is a waste of life. And that's the whole feel of going overboard for Jesus. This word waste, that's what they said about this. This is a waste. This could be used better. Jesus said, I want this talked about anywhere the gospel's preached. This feel of waste. This feel of, well, that just makes sense. But beloved, he's beaten death. Lazarus is alive again. We're all going to live forever. If that doesn't blow away all the normal ways of thinking, then what is it we're talking about? Are we saying, oh, we found a religion that's quite nice? Are we saying, well, we found in Jesus is quite an attractive character? Or are we saying, I'm going to live forever? Not only am I going to live forever, God is going to create a new earth, new heaven, which will be pure and beautiful and magnificent. He's stored up things we can't even imagine. You can't even enter your brain what God has stored up for us. The future is phenomenal, breathtaking, wonderful, and we're involved. Shouldn't that kind of erode the normal place you stand? Shouldn't it change your values fundamentally? And this woman, you see, for her, it's not kind of a philosophy. It's her brother. He's alive again. It's not because, oh, yes, there's a few verses here and there. Here he is. He's looking in my eyes. I can hear him laughter. I can feel his hand in my hand. He's alive again. Everything's changed. Everything's changed. When we meet Jesus and really understand the gospel, everything has changed. All our values are threatened and put down. And we have a whole new world view, a whole new approach. And down through the ages, that's what has led to gospel advance. You can read about the Moravians. And one guy, he sells himself into slavery. And as the boat is taking him off into slavery with the other slaves, 
He, he shouts out that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward for his suffering and sells himself into slavery. You're crazy. No, 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 no. I see things clearly. Something about becoming a Christian, all the mists go and you see things clearly. That matters, that doesn't matter. That looks outrageous, but it's totally in keeping with the amazing thing that's happened. Has the gospel really gripped our hearts? The wonder of it, the extraordinary nature of it. So, Jesus wants everyone to know about it. So, I'm on safe ground, okay? What am I preaching here today? I'm on safe ground. Jesus wants you to know about it. You think, I wonder what God wants me to preach. I know he wants me to preach this. Because he wants you to know. He says so. I want everywhere, I want people to know about this. So he wants you to know about it. He wants you to know. He, Jesus, the Lord of glory, wants you to know about this story. I'm on safe ground. Why do you suppose? Why? Well, let me ask you. Has God affected your value system so that you'd be very happy about giving away in a moment something worth a year's salary? Have you ever done that yet? Have you done that yet? Do you have to do that? See, if you, when we say, do you have to do that, that, that's kind of where we miss the point, isn't it? Or if you say, okay, well, it's not, it's not impossible, but I'd like to see the accounts of this year's uh, uh, charity uh, to see what, what you did with all the giving last year. If I can see how it was used, if I can see, mm, okay, that was noble, yeah, that was good, you did that, mm-hmm, okay, yeah, okay, this seems to be a very, mm, okay, I think maybe next year I will do that. No, no, that's not what it's about. It's not about, yeah, can you see the wise way in which it was used? No, it's complete waste. It's just for Jesus. It's just for Jesus. There's no other, no other thought. It's just, I love him. I just want to give myself utterly, unreservedly, embarrassing other people if necessary. I remember a guy called Wendell Smith I met in America. And uh, he had a, a church and he built quite a large, about a 5,000 seater building in Seattle. I mean, he's a, uh, quite a successful guy. And uh, I heard him say this. He said that the, at the opening of the church building, he said there's the, the, there's the mayor of the city there and there's other dignitaries there. And he said, they're just worshipping. And he said, God said to me in my heart, I want you to run around the building. And he thought, oh no. Not in front of all these people. I mean, these dignitaries. I mean, this is our going public event. And, and he kind of, in his heart, I don't want to run around the building. He said, God said, go on, run. And he tells this, he kind of made it, drew it out a bit, it's hysterical. He said, oh, I'm off. And he ran, and he ran right around. People started running after him. And it was kind of crazy. Just, Lord, it's for you. Thank you, you gave us this. Thank you, you did this. I don't care what they think. It's just for Jesus. Do you often do anything? It's just for Jesus. See, this woman did something and it's so extravagant and crazy. Jesus is delighted in risky, lavish, 
irresponsible expressions of worship, which no one else understands. It kind of raises questions. But Jesus, he, he can just receive it. He says, well done, you got it right. Everyone needs to know about this. Do we know Jesus like that, or do we just kind of follow the crowd? Do we see what, what, what are the people doing here? The Lord wants your heart, and, and he's done enough to win our hearts. He's beaten death for us. We're going to live forever. So yeah, maybe God will call you to throw away your career. It may be you'll find people say, what are you doing? But you're trained. What, are you going to become a pastor? You're going to a missionary? What are you doing? This is crazy. Things that other people don't understand. We heard earlier there's going to be an offering soon towards the new building we're going for. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Going for a gala bingo hall. Well, are we big enough for that? It's kind of crazy. There's obviously some crazy people here. You've already got 300,000. All it's possible to say is, look, see, Terry, I, I would do it, but uh, as things presently stand, you know, the mortgage and the kids, oh, it's okay, I understand. We might say, hey, there's a prayer meeting next week, uh, we're going to meet at such and such a time. He said, well, I would come, but um, at the moment it's difficult because, uh, you know, this and this. It's okay, I understand, I understand. He said, well, I, I, I'm not tithing regularly in the church at the moment because we're in difficulty and, and it's, I can't make the ends. Oh, it's okay, I understand. I, you, I understand. It's this woman I don't understand. It's this woman, I can't understand her. I can understand you. I can't understand her. And Jesus wants us to get in that place where, to be honest, we're kind of provocative. And even in the workplace, when, you know, last weekend I was in the north for bank holiday weekend, we were in like four inches of mud. And, uh, and <laughs> it's hilarious. I think there were uh, two and a half thousand of us from about 60 churches in the north of England, the New Frontiers camp. Through back, you know, what did you do for bank holiday? All these guys going back to work on Tuesday. You know, what did you do for bank holiday? Uh, well, we were ca- camping. I mean, it rained. Yeah, I know it rained. We were in the tent. What? And what about mud? Oh, yeah, we were in the mud. What, for bank holiday? What on earth do you do that for? It's like, have you seen something I can't see? How do you make such crazy decisions? And you don't hear people moaning. I mean, it was quite amazing for us. People were singing and praising. They paid to do it. (laughs) And then having paid to do it, we said, we're going to take an offering for church planting in Scotland and Northern Ireland. And they gave 130,000. You think, you paid to camp in the mud? You said it was freezing last night. Yeah, very cold in my tent. Yeah. And then we're going to take, and you give more? You're crazy. Yet something about the church that's a bit lunatic. The fact is, we've seen, isn't it true? That Jesus does a job on you where all your values change. All your values change. And you do things that look eccentric. Wow, actually, we're never going to die. We're going to live forever with Jesus 
He's going to usher in new heavens, new earth. And it's just wrecked our value system. Amen? Jesus wants you to know about it. He says everywhere, so I'm on safe ground. He wants you to know about it. He wants us to feel the impact of it. He wants us to live in the light of it. He wants us to impact this city, this area, with a church that has seen something that the vast crowds has not seen. They don't understand, and we do. So we don't want to be shaped by their values. We don't want to get, you know, I'm being shaped by whatever, you know, what's on television tonight, or X Factor, or something, oh yeah, we're just into it. We've seen something breathtaking that has undermined our values completely and made us do crazy things. Let's pray. Maybe the musicians want to come up and we're going to praise Jesus together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you were reckless, that you laid down your life. We thank you didn't preserve it, you didn't, you didn't play safe. We thank you, Lord Jesus, you didn't walk in a safe territory. We thank you, Father, you did not spare your own son. Lord, we're just staggered at what we know. And we confess, Lord, we can kind of water it down, we can normalize it. We can even turn the glorious gospel into something religious and really miss this breathtaking center, this life-transforming truth that you have changed our eternal destiny, that death is beaten. Lord, I pray that you will make us a people who manifestly live out of step, out of step with the culture, even out of step maybe with some disciples, because Jesus, you've won our hearts. Only you can fill our mouths with laughter. Only you can breathe in us new life. Only you can fill my heart with singing. Only you can answer my heart's cry. Lord, transform us by the inner working of your spirit. Bring forth something that brings you immense joy and that we see eye to eye. Lord, I just see that group. See these disciples working out how much this is worth. What on earth is she up to? And I see your eyes, Lord Jesus, meeting her eyes. I see her saying, this is for you, Jesus. I see you saying, yes, Mary, I understand, I receive it. I pray for every one of us, Lord, that we might live for you, out of step, except with you. Win our hearts, Lord, again and again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.